What's up guys, Devin here from Zella Companies and welcome to our podcast. If you're new, welcome, we're happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back and thank you for the continued support. In this episode, Mike Close and I sit down with John Schaefer, a partner at Webco Inc. and a manufacturer rep for Magnatech Material Handling. In this podcast, we cover what the VFD is and how it's used, what components it affects and problems VFDs can solve, how it's important to be transparent with operators and installers while switching to or adding a new VFD system into the facility, and more. We start the discussion by having John explain what exactly a variable frequency drive is. So yeah, basically, I think uh, the best way we can kind of start that is to just talk about what they are and why why did they kind of come into existence what are they what what do they improve over some of the older crane systems that uh don't have them sure well a variable frequency drive or vfd uh came out really in the late 80s and early 90s and the reason that they came out and became so popular is because their costs came down they became cost efficient and it's because of the birth of high speed power transistors came out in the late 90s or late 80s um, what they do for us, just like the uh, name sounds or says, variable frequency drive, we're able to vary the frequency to an AC motor. And by varying the frequency, we're able to get motor control out of it. When I'm saying motor control, be able to adjust the speeds, be able to adjust acceleration and deceleration ramps. Um, really a complete change in everything from the overhead crane industry. So before variable frequency drives, you had single speed and two speed motors exactly what they sound like single speed you press the button motor accelerates as fast as it can usually somewhere around a second um, depending on load two-speed motor again as it sounds you got two speeds it's usually a three to one speed ratio so let's say it's a hoist you might have uh, I don't know four feet per minute and 12 feet per minute you don't like 12 you got four you don't like four you got 12 you want anything else you don't have any options so that's kind of where the crane industry was on the package crane side you got up into the bigger, more performance cranes. Um, the motor control there generally was wound rotor control. Wound rotor control uh, is a more complicated system. The motor's more complicated. It's got windings on the rotor of the motor. Those windings are brought out to slip rings, then to brushes, and then to a big old set of resistor banks. And the way you would accelerate the motor is by changing the resistance on the rotor of the motor. But all worked really good, but you had some pretty complicated motor controls. Uh, just for, let's say, a bridge, you might have, you'd have a reversing starter, three or four speed contactors, and a big old bank of resistors. Um, systems work good, but over time, when they needed maintenance and stuff, they're kind of hard to troubleshoot, a bunch of wires going everywhere, all that kind of stuff. After that, then the addition to the wild rotor control was eddy current brake control which was a separate magnetic brake added to hoisting, also some bridge and trolleys to help control, give additional control to the wild rotor motor. And then after that, the true uh, speed control or high performance speed control is DC, direct current control. Still see that in mills and stuff, but again, complicated, a complicated motor, uh, inefficient uh, use of controls. So once the variable frequency drive came in, now we are able to give you performance similar to almost DC, but with just a single speed squirrel cage motor. So single speed squirrel cage motor, simplest motor on the market um, or available. And by using a variable frequency drive, we can control how fast the motor accelerates, how fast it decelerates, and we can also control speed points. 
So, you know, you take the example of earlier, let's say you have four and 12 feet per minute, but four is not slow enough. You could go down to three or two or whatever the application dictated. Uh, better example is like at a bridge control, let's say you have a high speed bridge, maybe 300 feet per minute, and you want to be able to go down to 50 or 40 or 30 feet per minute, you could actually do it with a variable frequency drive. So how does it work? And what are the components of technologies? What a variable frequency drive does is it, it creates a sinusoidal wave by varying the voltage and frequency to, to what do I say? Oh, I was on a roll there. <laughs> You're allowed to breathe. <laughs> yeah, thank you. To, uh, to trick an AC motor to think it's at its synchronous speed even when it's not. Okay. So during all this time, we also had something called soft starts. Soft starts you'd use on like a little bridge and trolley um, just so it wouldn't accelerate as fast as it wants to. And what a soft start would do is it would just reduce the voltage to the motor. So I'll start, it's also called a reduced voltage starter. So when you do that, it, it works fine, but it creates a tremendous amount of heat in the motor because you're starving the motor of energy. Okay, so soft start works great. Use it every now and then. You put a soft start on a class D coil handling crane, motors are overheating like crazy. By adjusting not only the voltage, but the frequency, now the motor doesn't overheat. And you can put it in very high-end applications, heavy-duty cycles. Class D, class E, class F, nothing that these things can't do. Um, I'm kind of going by your list here. Uh, crane effects, it affects every motorized motion on the crane. So okay. the obvious ones, hoist bridge and trolley. I mean, everything has got a motor we can control. Um, these days we're even doing some rotate control just because, you know, hook rotate just because people are using it for everything more than anything, right? Um, but obviously the main ones are hoist, bridge, and trolley. Um, what are the problems that the VFD can solve? One of the first and most important ones, and the one that really got the thing on the map, was, was eliminating or greatly minimizing brake. Okay. So if you take your, let's say your contact or control trolley, right? The guy's beating the button, bang, 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 trying to get motor control out of it, right? Well, every time he does that, when he lets go of the button, you use a mechanical brake to stop the motion. Eventually, the thing wears out. You put in some applications where the guy's plugging a lot. He might only get months, maybe even weeks out of the brake, and the brake's wearing out. Okay? By using a variable frequency drive, now that drive is bringing that motion to a stop before the brake sets. So now the brake is only setting when the motion's not moving. Obviously, Imagine the brakes on your car, they last forever if you only touch them. Mm -hmm. You're at the stoplight, not trying to. So it kind of reduces the brakes down to almost like a parking brake. It is, it is truly almost like a parking brake. That's correct. Okay. Um, the, the, so that, let, let me step back. When we first got into variable frequency drives, we were just doing bridges and trolleys. Then the advent of vector technology, so feedback from an encoder. Now we're doing hoist without mechanical load brakes just a fantastic increase in performance. Now you're, you're sitting there watching this, this hoist picking 80,000 pounds up, doing it like it's nothing. The guy lets go of his finger and those motor controls bring that motor all the way to a stop and actually will hover there waiting for another command. If no other command comes, then we set the brake. Okay. 
So now we're, we're not just talking about a little disc brake on the end of a trolley motor. We're talking about dual 13-inch shoe brakes that eliminate, that, that aren't even really working. Again, just being used as a part. Huge advantage. Cool. Sure. Um, we also have accelerated or uh, adjustable XL and decel times. So you could set, uh, let's say your bridge is 300 feet per minute. You might want that to accelerate in five or six seconds where your trolley might be 100 feet per minute. You might want to accelerate that in three seconds. But you can just go in there and push some buttons and be able to change what the programming is set at as opposed to two-speed control is just characters of the motor. Wound rotor control is all set up by the guy who designed it. Once you get it, there's nothing you can do. Um, Precise positioning. So one of the things, we, we have so many features inside the adjustable frequency drive that we can fine tune to help the operator get the performance he needs. But since we're able to get what we call 40 to one speed ratios, top speed to bottom speed, right? We can get that motion to just absolutely creep when we need to. So you know, one of the examples we often talk about is NASA loading space shuttles or uh, satellites into the space shuttle. Okay? okay. That crane might do, you know, I don't know, 120 feet per minute on the bridge, but when they got a satellite on there, they're in no hurry. They don't care if it takes all day to get that satellite into that space shuttle. So they mm. can just flip a switch and make top speed instead of 120 feet per minute, a programmable lower speed, maybe 12 feet per minute, maybe six feet per minute. So now picture a bridge going six feet in a minute. I mean, that's just barely crawling. Mm -hmm. But you can flip a switch, and then that's the most the operator can get by pushing the button. Um, die handling cranes, I do a lot of them up here in, in, uh, in Detroit. Uh, autos are always moving dies around. We can, we can just put a switch on a transmit, on a radio control, or on a pendant that once he flips that switch, now it's just a maybe 10% speed is his top speed. So he can fly these dies down the bay, get close, flip the switch, thing comes into slow, and then he can bump the controls as much as he wants and just get real fine position. A huge different over the old days. So if you're an operator and you know, you're upgrading to a VFD from an older like contact-based control system, how much of an adjustment is there to get used to the new controls? That, if there is a disadvantage, that is probably it. Because in the old days, they were able to abuse the controls, right? Mm -hmm. They were able to get the, the, get the crane to kind of, well, do whatever they want right now. Yeah. The bad part about that is, is what the, what's that mean? That means they're able to create quite or demand quite a bit of torque out of the drivetrain. So when you demand a bunch of torque out of a drivetrain, what happens? You abuse keyways, couplings, wire ropes, gearboxes, pretty much everything in the drivetrain. So by going to a VFT, you can program XL D-cells, minimize that torque. The shortfall is now the operator says, hey, I'm used to stopping at 300 feet in three feet. Now it takes me eight or 10. Yeah. Right? So there is a learning curve with operators. Um, the biggest problem I've had in my experience is working with operators that have been doing this for 30 years and expected to operate one way and then it changes. Yeah. If you go into a facility that has nothing but variable frequency drives, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about the other way, right? So there is a learning curve. There is no two ways about it. Um, we can simulate some, some of the old control they had. 
For example, on an old wound rotor bridge or trolley, they, they would control the decel time with what's called reverse plugging. So you're going north full speed, you let go of the controller, it starts slowing down. If it doesn't slow down fast enough, you reverse the controller, right? You throw it backwards in the opposite direction. And what happens is you actually change the phase of the motor. The motor just hunkers down and tries to reverse the direction of that bridge as fast as it can. What we do in the variable frequency drive is we can set up a different set of parameters so that, again, if he's bridging along and let's go of the controller, let's say it stops in seven seconds. But if he reverses it before it stops, then we can put a separate decel time in there of maybe three or four seconds to simulate reverse plugging. So he still gets the feel of it, but he's not abusing the drivetrain as much as he was with, with the old round rotor control. Okay. So then going into the operators and you know their comfort with like an accelerator decel time, how much control do they have to program it how they want it once it's already installed? Is that something that they can do or is that something that only you guys can do to get it exactly how they want it to go? That's a good question. Uh, it's all there. You know what I mean? It, the keypad's there, the book's there, it's all online. If they wanted to figure it out, they could. Mm -hmm. I, I've yet to, well, yet, yeah, I shouldn't say that. I've rarely seen, I think of only once, an operator actually getting up there and changing things. Okay. Maintenance departments in, in any, you know, end user facility certainly can do it and have the ability and, you know, it'd be up to a Mozilla to say what they have the authorization to do. Does that avoid the warranty? Does it, you know, where, where does the liability stand then if, you know, they're kicking it up so it can fly off fast as they want it to go? Where do you guys come in to say like, hey, guidance wise, you should probably tone this down a little bit. This is what you should, should not do. How do those conversations work? It's not as clear cut as, as you would think it should be. Okay. Let's say, let's say you take your example, you set it up to just take off like crazy and go all these high speeds. Well, the drive is going to have, it's going to fault out. It's got fault records, right? It's going to have faults of current, probably maybe over voltage. So let's say this drive blows up. Somebody takes it off, sends it to them, says they want warranty. We turn the drive on, see you've programmed it to take off like crazy and there's a bunch of overcurrents in there. Yeah, might warranty it once, but with the stern, you know, we're not doing that again, right? Yeah. But it's kind of through the crane industry, you know, we all kind of know this stuff, right? Sure. Um, but again, end user does that stuff and it's all recorded. They're going to have trouble getting warranty. Mm. Right I would imagine too when it's installed, you know, the whoever is doing the, you know, whatever service company is doing the installation will work with the operators to try and get it to the settings that they're comfortable with too before they, you know, just leave it, leave them with the system. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they end up getting called back, which they'd rather yeah. get it done the first time while they're there. The other thing on, on the problems that the VFD can fix is load limiting. Um, you know, we can limit the amount of load that's being lifted by the hook. Pretty simple, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, very important, obviously. Yeah. What um, systems does it replace? You know, all the contact control. So even single and two-speed contactors get eliminated. Um, wild rotor control of five, six contactors plus a big old resistor bank. Eddy current brakes and eddy current brake control, those are all eliminated. And you can even convert from DC to AC. Get rid of your DC motors, put all new AC drives or controls on the crane. Obviously, you need AC at the building, but that mm -hmm. everybody has AC. DC is the tough one to find. 
Are there any uh, energy efficiency benefits to upgrading to a VFD system? The way that we can save energy is by what's called regeneration. So picture a hoist going down 50 ton on the hook, okay? When we release the brake and we tell the motion to go down, we don't actually have to push the load down, right? We're actually pushing up. We're actually going the opposite direction of the load. Anytime that happens, the motor actually becomes a generator and generates energy that goes back to the drive. Okay. We could take that energy and convert it back to a nice sinusoidal wave and put it back onto the plant's power supply. Mm-hmm. Done it on big powerhouse cranes, not powerhouse cranes, but steel mill cranes, ladle cranes, because these are actually making a lot of energy. The shortfall is it's a whole nother variable frequency drive. So if, if it costs you, you know, pick some numbers, whatever it is, it's double to be able to bring it back onto the line. Um, other than places that use that much energy, energy is pretty cheap, right? Yeah. So picture it's the same thing for your little bridge drive, right? When the operator is doing 60 hertz and he lets go of the button and he expects that bridge to slow down, that bridge motor becomes a generator. We bring that energy back to the drive. But since it's so little energy and it's not worth that much, we burn that energy off by putting it across a resistor. Okay. The resistor, we turn the energy into heat. So can it be done? Yes. It is uh, the hurdle to be able to do is a little bit expensive. So it's not something done on every single one. Very specific applications. Yeah, just bigger applications. Okay. Yep. Yep. Main difference of uh, upgrading VFDs, you know, the main difference is the programmability. You know, we've got a wide variety of drives, some low cost, uh, very high end drives. Even the lowest cost drive probably has 30 or 40 parameters in it. Our flagship, I haven't counted 200, maybe 300 parameters in it that, that are there to give you every ability to program it, not only the way the operator wants it, but to be able to control it in a safe way that's that's going to last a long time. Because mm-hmm. just because the operator wants it to start off like crazy may not be what the maintenance guy wants because he's sick of going up there and replacing keys on his drive shaft or whatever. Sure. Um, so you want to balance in between the two. But the main difference is the program build. My gosh. I mean, you know, you get out there, the guy's uh, got that high-speed bridge again, 300 feet per minute. They're not handling coils anymore. Now they're handling dies. They don't want to go 300 feet per minute. Okay. You go up there and you program it. There, there's 200 feet per minute. Mm-hmm. A bunch of low speeds, one high speed. I mean, it, the, the versatility is, is really amazing. Are most engineers and manufacturers specifying variable frequency drives on new crane systems? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially Britain and Trolley. Okay. Package hoist people still like two speed in their hoisting. You know, it gets a little more expensive in hoisting, especially when you start putting encoder on there and stuff. So, you know, you've got to cut off somewhere around 10, maybe 15 ton that I would say variable frequency is even more common on hoisting. Okay. Two ton, three ton wire rope hoist, you're going to have two speed, maybe even single speed contact control. And then um, the European industry, or the, they're, they're pretty much bringing in two-speed control on hoisting also. Is there anything else we we kind of didn't touch on that you want to bring up about variable frequency drive systems? or? Um, no, I mean, uh, you know, when we first did this, we were really selective with applications. Now it's 
everything and anything. I mean, yeah. at first it only made sense to do it on high speed class D and E bridges or, or this and that. Now it's, you know, you're buying a five ton Shaw box and it's got a little tiny inverter on the trolley. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just all the time now. And manufacturers now are even using it to uh, match speed requirements rather than change a gearbox sets. Right. So let's say, <coughs> excuse me, let's say the, I don't know, Shaw box is 120 foot per minute trolley speed, top speed, but the spec comes out and says he, this guy wants 100 feet per minute. Rather than going and changing the gearbox ratio, which they did forever, mm -hmm. they would just now they just send out an adjustable frequency drive, program the top speed for 100 feet per minute. You've matched their specification, and now you stock less gearing and gearboxes and everything else. Sure, especially for older systems where it's you know harder to find the replacement components or the internals. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. So yeah. it's really come a long way. That seems like a big benefit right there. So then for people that are thinking about adding a VFD system, what do you wish people would know about that system that maybe they don't know or maybe misconceptions that they might have about putting it in? You know, it is so accepted today. I, I don't think I have much of an answer to that, to be honest with you. I mean, so let's say it a different way. What what things do they need to know or tell us, let's say, yeah. is, um, you know, what type of motor we're controlling single speed, two speed, wound rotor, uh, actual amperages of the motors. My gosh, we rarely get that. People are usually just throwing around horsepower instead of actual amperages. Drives are sized on both. Um, duty cycle, we will change the drive selection depending on the duty cycle of the crane. Um, hoisting, uh, do they have room for an eddy, or, uh, encoder? Do they have someplace they can mount an encoder or add an encoder? Um, the one thing we haven't talked about is hoisting with mechanical load brake. Um, hoisting with load brake, we don't need an encoder, uh, but at times I've run into problems where the the load brake wasn't operating. We go and do this upgrade, we're relying on the encoder to do its part, and if it doesn't, then we have other problems. And, and unfortunately, it's probably why they upgraded in the first place is because the mechanical load brake wasn't working, so they're having problems with the electric brake. Now we put the inverter on there, and they still got to go back and fix the mechanical load brake. Going into those guys that have been working with cranes for 30 years and now they're trying to get used to these VFDs, what do you wish they would kind of look into this device before they just go, well, this isn't what I want, this is what I like, this, you know, I, I want my old system. So operators or? I'd say more operators. The, the guys are actually using this equipment and now they have all this new equipment and they're just used to what they used to have. And, you know, nobody likes change. What would you say to those guys to really encourage them like, yeah, I know it's different, but this is, this is why we did this. The hardest thing is to, for them to communicate what is different to the guy at the keypad, right? Well, it's faster. Well, does that mean the top speed is faster or that you are able to accelerate faster or your low speed was faster? What, you know, the, the hardest thing is the communication side, okay? So if you could communicate what you're actually looking for because you start, you know, you start telling the operator the difference between top speed and acceleration, mm -hmm. and sometimes they're they stop listening. What's that? Yeah. So the the best thing is to be able to communicate to the guy at the keypad what the change is needed. Then the next one, honestly, is having an open mind. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I hate to say it, but but it's true. So one of the first upgrades I did was at General Motors back in 1992 or three, and the operator didn't like it. So I was up on the crane with a uh, walkie-talkie. And the maintenance guy was down with the operator. 
and he was having me change acceleration times by just this little bit, right? Tenth of a second faster. So I make it tenth of a second faster. Tenth of a second faster. I make it tenth of a second faster. Next two or three times, he goes, uh, tenth of a second. I said, okay, I didn't change it. Tenth of a second, I didn't change it. And he goes, there, that's perfect. <laughs> that is the way I wanted it. Because in all honesty, come on, tenth of a second, you can't. Yeah. This is this is five seconds. This isn't, you know, you're watching the Olympics. This isn't short stretch speed skating. This is like how fast the crane's going. You can't tell the difference. So eventually you just have to have a little bit of an open mind. The the other side of it is though the thing I would recommend the guy at the keypad is to listen to the guy. Don't just tell him, you know, you're analog and this is digital. You're you don't know what you're talking about. Listen to him, understand what he's trying to do, and, you know, try to work with him. Just telling him he's wrong, it just, you know, the walls get raised and nothing gets accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found, a lot of times it's not the crane technician telling them it's wrong. A lot of times it's their own maintenance department. Okay. Because they've got long-standing feuds or whatever, and this just turns into another battle between them. And the operator's like, oh, the maintenance guy just doesn't want to fix the crane. He doesn't want to do his job. And I can't do my job. So, again, listen to the guy. He's got a tough job, too. He's got to take that expensive piece of equipment and put it into something or another to understand what he's trying to accomplish. So, kind of to wrap it up, what would you say are the top three benefits, then, of upgrading to a, a VFD system? Well, first and foremost is the... Um, is the brake wear by by going variable frequency drive you're basically making your brake and parking brake yeah that's a big Um, one next is just eliminating a lot of old controls you know you you can i've seen it before where you can have a bridge that's 70 80 feet long has control panels from end to end we put a new control panel on there that outperforms the other one and might be 12 feet long Mm -hmm. just a heck of a lot less stuff going on um, and lastly is all the programmability. Uh, be able to program XL, D-cell, be able to program speed points, be able to give you a positioning control. You know, the other thing we didn't talk about are fault codes. You know, these things record their faults, memorize sure. what's going on. Um, we have devices that you can record additional fault information. We have a Wi-Fi package that you can transmit it through the air and be able to watch it down on the on the ground. You can take data and email it to us. We can see what the crane's doing. I mean, we've come a long way in this technology. And that type of diagnostic information, that also provides like number of lifts made, percentage of lifts made at capacity, things like that, right? It could, but we are drive people. Okay. So we do everything around our drive, right? Okay. So we are recording faults, we're recording runs, we're recording all that kind of information just as an avenue to find out if there's going to be a problem with the drive. Right. Okay. But could it be used as a as a diagnostic system to be able to create a what do they call that? Like, oh, a load spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what you're saying. So, how many times can I lift full weight? How many times can I lift half? Um, you couldn't use our system as it sits, but you could use the information in the drive to be able to do that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. But it does record number of lifts, number of cycles, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all great for preventative maintenance and for your in-house maintenance team to kind of be able to track the components and when they need to be, when they need to get up there and repair and adjust them. Yeah, for sure. And we're even bringing that down to uh, the display of the transmitters now um, for people that ask for it. 
so that the maintenance guy can look at the number of cycles on the bridge and decide when the bridge needs to be inspected. Well, you guys uh, at Magnatech, you certainly have a lot of resources for variable frequency drives on your website. So sure. I, know, I know I've gone on there a number of times to kind of pull some information and I've used it for research for some of our articles. So yeah, the Magnatech website is a great resource for that. I'll look around for you. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Well, Thanks, thank you Sean. very much for your time. We appreciate it. And that's all for today's podcast. I hope you were able to help provide you with a better understanding of variable frequency drives. If you liked what you heard, don't hesitate to share it with your friends and coworkers. You can also head over to mozellacompanies.com where we've got a ton of blog articles written and downloads available for you to grab. If you're into video, you can also catch our content on YouTube by popping over to youtube.com slash mozellacompanies. I encourage you to follow our channels and let us know what you think. For all of us at Mozilla Companies, I'm Dev McCarty. Thank you for listening.